Street veteran Bernard Madoff has been arrested and charged with running a $50 billion Ponzi scheme. Congress wants to know what caused the Enron meltdown. Now, well, the collective rage currently is focused on WorldCom. Tyco CEO Dennis Kozlowski was convicted of looting hundreds of millions of dollars. This is one of the biggest fraud cases ever. Their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. Find out more on this week's episode of White Collars, Red Hands. Here at White Collars Red Hands, we usually pride ourselves on being a true crime podcast that won't keep you up at night with horrific stories. Still, as you know, every season finale, we delve into a murder committed by the wealthy. And this season finale, I do have to warn you, is especially brutal. That's why I'm putting this disclaimer directly at the beginning that today's episode deals with extremely gruesome facts that include, but are not limited to, murder, necrophilia, and cannibalism. Keep listening at your own discretion. Thank you. I don't know why I'm laughing. Yeah, please don't laugh <laughs> the, during the disclaimer. I became just nervous. Murder, necrophilia, cannibalism. <laughs> so funny. I think I'm just nervous. So funny. <laughs> This might be in the episode. That's hilarious. I just don't know. I can't believe I, you. <laughs> I can't believe you. I think I'm. Gonna, I don't know why I'm laughing. It's not funny. I don't think any of that stuff is funny. Settled. Am I going to do the intro? Yeah. Go ahead. All right. Oh wait, that wasn't the intro. That's the disclaimer oh, before Jesus the intro. Christ. Okay. <laughs> We're not vamping here, Jesus. <clears throat> How much will wealth allow you to get away with in society? Being at the top of the socioeconomic ladder has let a lot of people get away with some pretty horrible things. In medieval times, kings could do as they pleased. The French king, King Charles IV, believed he was made of glass to the point that he would wrap himself in blankets to sit on his throne so as not to break his buttocks. Did he have brittle bone disease? No, he was just paranoid. It's, huh. it's called like glass paranoia. Or something like that. Um, he was so paranoid with this delusion that in fits of rage, he would murder people, uh, one time killing four of his knights due to the madness. And obviously, you can't really overstep the king, so they merely locked him in a bedroom. In today's modern society, in many places, we no longer have kings. But the ability of modern nobility to escape the consequences of their actions is part of the motivation for starting this podcast to begin with. So how much... Can they really get away with due to their immense wealth? I mean, Elon Musk gets away with de-aging his hairline and naming a child Xander. I forget how you pronounce it. Uh, so whatever, which, like I said, I don't even know. Um, they now refer to the baby just by X or Y, Makes by the sense. way. Um, and the Y is sometimes W-H-Y with a question mark and sometimes just a question mark. I hate these people. Now... That is a wild thing to let a billionaire get away with. But can money save you from facing the repercussions from the ultimate evil crime of murder? And one of the worst ones at that? Well, today we aim to answer that question exactly through the story of Issei Sagawa, also known as the Kobe Cannibal. And you may not like the answer. Hey, Kobe, they've got the best meat in the world. Hey, but you can lie outside, outside of Japan. If they say it's Kobe beef here, it doesn't actually have to be Kobe beef. Oh, really? Legally, yep. 
Oh, they can I just call it Kobe beef. It is super tender. Don't say tender. I can't. You can't say things like that to me today. <laughs> All right. I'm in a very vulnerable space. Uh, writing this outline was, and I shit you not, probably one of the worst things I've ever had to do. So in it, your whole life, I don't know. It, it was pretty. It was. It got pretty rough because I just kept like. So here's the thing that people might not know out there, and you might not, I think you know about me, is that I do listen to a lot of true crime stuff. Yeah. And a lot of, like, brutal true crime stuff. Um, and that's kind of nice. And, like, listen, not, okay, not, like, nice. But I do, like, I I have a macabre fascination about learning about it. Okay. Like, sure. Um, but doing all the actual research and then compiling yeah. it was a lot it's, different. Well, yeah, because, like, when you... When you watch those sorts of things on TV or you listen to those sorts of podcasts, a lot of times, a lot of things are omitted. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing the research yourself, you're reading everything, unfortunately. Yeah. And things are omitted. Um, I mean, obviously there's, he's called the Kobe cannibal. We kind of have to talk about cannibalism like a lot, but I spared you a lot of the actual details. Yeah. Because there's a difference saying, you know, this dude ate somebody versus this is how he ate somebody. Yeah, and you I mean, read how he ate them. Yeah. Cause there are some pretty graphic descriptions uh, from him himself, you know, like, and it's, it's stomach churning. I'll say that. Uh, it, it wasn't great. So, honestly, our murder episodes perform really well, though. And I know that there's a lot of people out there that are interested, that, you know, they also have the same sort of macabre fascination with true crime that I do. Uh, it's it's part of human nature to be interested about it. Um, so, if that's you, then great. Keep listening to this. If it's not, please do not listen to this episode. Yeah, this one's a rough one. Um, we're not going to, I would not tell it to you often. But don't. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll try and bring levity at times and we'll see. But if any, I already have like three jokes in my head, but if anything, we're going to give you the story of Issei Sagawa. Yeah. So Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. So welcome back everybody to the season finale, the season <laughs> 11 finale of white collars, red hands. My name as always is Kashan. And my name as always is Nina. And, uh, we're, we're back with you. Another murder, the 11th murder we've covered. Yes. And oof, we've saved the worst for the 11th. Uh, not the worst <laughs> content wise, but the worst. Um, so Issei Sagawa, which Nina also spent some time in Japan. I'm sure she was going to say that later, but this is, uh, he is Japanese. He was, yeah. he was born on April 26, 1949 in Kobe, Japan, uh, to a quite wealthy family, obviously, Kobe as is, we mentioned. Kobe is a really beautiful part of, well, all of Japan is beautiful, but it's a really great area of Japan. Uh, do a lot of rich people live there? I mean... Yeah, it's it's a nice area. It's like a, it's kind of a wealthy area. Yeah. That makes sense because because they were wealthy. Issei's father was the president of a multinational water chemical production company. Like they made the the chemicals to clean wastewater. I think called a Karita Water Industries. And his grandfather had actually been the editor for one of the largest Japanese newspapers, the Asahi Shimbun. Asahi. Is it Shimbun? That one I don't know. All right, that's how I would pronounce it. Asahi, Shimbun. Asahi Shimbun. Um, which is still around today. I guess it was like really integral in the like wars, like both world wars Okay, about the time when uh, his grandfather would have been the editor. So big deal, I guess. Um, Sagawa was born extremely prematurely uh, and was said to be able to fit in the palm of your hand upon birth. Like his dad said that he literally fit in his palm. He was so small. 
Um, like the grossest teacup poodle ever. Um, I'm curious if uh, he was born prematurely due to radiation, like radiation that his mother was exposed to with oh. the atomic bombs. Interesting. It was 1949. You're yeah. Right. A lot of, of the people that were born around that time are, there is a stereotype that Japanese people are very, very short. And it, and when I lived there, like, yes, the women, like on average, were probably I'm I'm five foot seven, so I am above average height for mm-hmm. American women. Mm-hmm. Um, By an inch, let's not get too carried away. Yeah, but all right, used to be too. But anyways, I'm a little above average height. Over there, I probably was like taller. Only I was only like two or three inches taller than all the women, and then the men were all about two to three inches taller than me. My boss was over six foot. It was like all the people who were born around my grandparents' time were very small. And it was due to mal- malnutrition from just being in the war. And then from there was quite a few years of um, radiation effects. So I wonder if that had anything to do with him being born prematurely. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I also want to say if there was an award for being just a little bit above average. Me. This guy right here. Oh. I'm winning that all day. I was called in an Ohio 8 today, so. Oh, my God. Are we going to bring that up? I'm not going to ever let it go. All right. Great. Love that for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> he was, Sagawa was sickly because uh, because of this uh, all the way until adulthood. Uh, and he also remained small, so that's kind of fitting into your narrative there, uh, growing to a final height of four foot nine inches tall. Whoa. Which makes him a short king that we absolutely do not stand. We do not stand. Wow, that is really short. Yes, he is very small, and he will like say it. He's like, he's like, I'm very tiny, and I'm like, okay. He's like, I'm fragile, and I was like, you killed somebody. Um, wow, that is so small. His sickly nature made him stay inside most of the time as a child, uh, which fostered an interest in literature for him, especially English literature. Uh, he became very interested in Shakespeare but also enjoyed works from other languages, such as War and Peace, which I don't know how he read it. I Probably not in the original Russian, but probably in English. So if that counts as English literature, then sure. Yeah, I don't know if at that time it would have been translated into Japanese. I mean, probably, no, probably not Japanese. So he's probably reading it in English. Um, it also made it so that his mother was increasingly protective of Issei, constantly sheltering him, uh, which caused him to grow extremely introverted, especially at a young age. Uh, supposedly, though, even as a child, his interests, even literary interests, involved cannibalism. Mm. One of his favorite stories as a kid was Hansel and Gretel, and he would read it almost every night. Yeah, that's not a good bedtime story. No, it's not. And there's actually, so there's two different accounts about, or at least that I could find about how he first noticed his fixation with cannibalism and with either eating or being eaten. Um, but they're they're both similar. Either he had a nightmare as a child that he and his brother were being cooked in a giant pot, um, or there was this, like, I guess for some Japanese holiday, his uncle would dress up as, like, a giant Okay. And like come to eat the children and his dad would dress up as like a like pretend like a knight and then he'd like fight the knight off and then grab the kids and lower them into like a pot, like a fake pot as like a game. I'm not familiar with this. I don't know, but but he would like pretend to cook them and uh, Issei became fixated on these ideas of being lowered into a pot and being cooked. And it was actually that way first. His first fixation was on being eaten. 
And then was she, he afraid to be eaten or did he want to be eaten? No, he was just like constantly thought about it and he liked the idea. Okay. So he found that he was liking the idea of being in a pot and being eaten. And then slowly over time, it switched. So like that, these stories make me so afraid to be a parent because his dad's just like, we were just trying to play a fun game. And then I made you like this. Yeah, you, you could you imagine reading your kid Hansel and Gretel and they're like, oh, dad, I want to be I want to be Hansel. <laughs> and you're like, what? Like, I want to be pushed into an oven and e- eaten by a witch. <laughs> You're like, what did I do wrong? Yeah, you're like, uh, we're not reading this story anymore. <laughs> what did I do wrong? We are not reading this story anymore. We're going back to watching Bluey. Right. <laughs> this is over. Um, Sagawa's first personal fixation with an actual person, though, uh, or at least that he mentions, was when he was in the first grade. So he's like five or six. Like he's very... Six or seven, yeah. Yeah, he's very young um, and recalled how delicious the thigh of a male classmate looked. Go on. Yeah, so uh, although his fantasies would be entwined with sex very tightly, uh, I found it interesting that his first interest was in a male classmate. Um, He also happened to remark that that the boy was handsome. So, I I mean, this is me shooting in the dark, but I don't know. Maybe there was some repressed feelings there or something that he never got in touch with. But isn't it interesting that in Japanese society that a guy who is forthcoming about eating people might not candidly talk about homoerotic fantasies. Um, even to this day, the um, being gay isn't as widely accepted in Japan as it is here. Yeah, but more widely accepted to talk about eating people. I can't explain it. Or at least like the social pressures of it, you know, like like this yeah. is because I was thinking I was like, that's kind of gay, dude. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I wonder if part of that is just because, like, he got caught, and he got caught for what he did, and so yeah. he can't, like, say, like, no, I didn't eat that person, and so he's like, yeah, I'll talk about it, but I won't talk about being gay. No, but he talks in detail about it, is the thing. I don't know. Like, he spares no, de- like, he is not, like, shy about talking about it at all. Like, it's wild and disgusting. So. Yeah, I don't know. Um. Issei, however, was good at school, uh, at least when it came to books and learning, but he was terrible socially. Uh, Maybe he, it's because he wanted to eat his friend's thighs. It might be it. it. might be it. If you just come over and be like, and he's like constantly licking his lips, you're like, what the fuck, dude? Like, I just, I want to play dodgeball. Stop biting your lips. like, you look so good in those orange shorts. Thank you. Your oh, thighs man. look scrumptious. Interesting choice of take words. take a bite out of them. Okay. <laughs> gobble them right up. Okay, you're saying a lot about eating my thighs. I'm going to go over there. Especially with some Italian dressing. <laughs> and <there>. I'm running. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Italian dressing? <laughs> it's Japan. Soy sauce, maybe. Something. I didn't want to be rude. Don't they eat soy sauce? Yes. Then it's not it's rude. Wasabi. See, there some we go. Ginger. Yeah, some pickled ginger. Mm. I love pickled ginger. You're making me hungry. Stop. I'm I cannot, so hungry. I cannot get hungry during this episode. Stop. I am already just, hungry. Just stop making me hungry and don't say the word tender again. I am actively hungry sitting here right now. Well, let's fix that uh, in, a, in like 15 minutes. <laughs> get out of here. Uh, <laughs> so he did not have many friends uh, because he was incredibly socially awkward. <laughs> On his breaks during class, he was often seen off by himself daydreaming in silence or lost in a book thinking about that kid's thighs yeah just mm, mm, i want to eat them thighs um 
As he hit puberty around the age of 12, uh, these fantasies of dining, now primarily on women, uh, began to be tightly interwoven with his sexual feelings. Um, as Issei would first begin uh, masturbating to the thoughts of tasting Western actresses. Yeah, sorry. Still hungry? Uh <laughs> One of his favorites being Grace Kelly, an Academy Award winner from the Golden Age of Hollywood, who later went on to be the Princess of Monaco. I found that out. She was the yeah, she, was, she a, was she was a princess. Yep. And he here's this little Japanese boy, just like God. I want to fucking eat her. He's jerking yeah, off. That's uh, why you can't be famous because like you never know. You never you. know what people are thinking about you while jerking off. I have no fame. And I know what people have said to me on the internet. So I can't even imagine when you get to a place where you are recognized. Ah! Yeah. It, uh, you know what gross is? It's so, like, this is gross already, but I don't know if you watched the Dahmer series. Nope. Okay. I won't. It's also pretty bad, though. I know he did some. Yeah. There's some parallels here, actually. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a scene in the show where he's, like, masturbating to organs. Oh, you mean like like in a baseball game? That's cool. Mm-hmm. Or like in church? I don't know where there would be an organ in the baseball game. Oh, they play it all oh, the time. Oh, I didn't know that. Dun, 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 oh, dun, I didn't dun, know that dun, was dun, an, that's an organ. organ, bro. I didn't know. <sighs> you ruined my joke. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, Issei was completely transfixed by Western women, especially tall ones. Maybe Tall slightly, and lean, every maybe, young man's dream. Maybe slightly above average will do, though. Um, <laughs> I am a giant compared to him. Well, everyone is. I would keep him fed for months. Well, maybe. Uh, he always seemed to want the exact opposite of what he was himself. And freely admitted uh, that he thought that eating large Western women would allow him some of the power that he did not have as a very tiny Japanese man. So one time I asked this guy I was talking to if we like were on a mountain stranded and if I died, what part of my body would he eat first? Was it the butt? No, he said probably, yeah, he said either my butt or my boob. And I got, I was like, I don't know if I could trust you because like you would need to do my, you would need to eat my thigh. That's where there's more like actual nutrients, but the butt and the boob is just fat. And then I realized now that that was not an appropriate question. There's a there's quite a bit of muscle in the butt. Not in this butt. Well, I'm just saying, you know, traditionally, uh, if if the um, now if, I wonder why we're not together. If the old VH1 show Mansers has anything to uh, to know. say about this, uh, it would be the liver. All right, it's, it's supposedly that's where the most nutrients are. They're like eat the liver, one of the organs. See, you wouldn't even think about it. Anyway, hopefully I wish I never would have asked that question. Hopefully you're not ever in that position. Um, when Sagawa was 15, he first realized that he might need professional psychiatric help. No doy. And called a psychiatrist to talk about these fantasies. Actually, he, that's, he did, he that's, did try. that's really big of him because um, even now, like going to the psychiatrist like that would not be seen as like acceptable in Japan, in Japan. Absolutely not. And, to be fair, though, the, psychi- the psychiatrist said that Issei would need to meet him in person. Mm. Um, and Issei was too scared because of his introvertedness, and he was embarrassed over his fantasies, uh, too embarrassed to discuss these things in person. So he did not 
go. But that's oh not, my God, this whole thing could have been avoided. Well, that's not even the only time. Uh, in 1970, at the age of 21, uh, Issei made his first attempt to bring his desires from fantasy into real life as he began stalking a young German woman who lived in his town and discovered that she sometimes left a window open to her apartment at night. He used this to his advantage and one night snuck into her house while she was sleeping in bed. He looked around her room, searching for something to knock her out with, even though he's tiny, don't know how that would have worked out, uh, and he settled on an umbrella in the corner of the room. Uh, but before he could strike the killing or knocking out blow, uh, she awoke and screamed. Sagawa fled, but was later identified and was going to be charged with attempted rape, but it is believed that Issei's dad pulled some strings and got him off without the case proceeding to actual charges. Wow. Nothing ever came of it. Um, that's not known for sure, but it's highly speculated. Probably. Because his dad has had a lot of money. He was a president of a big multinational corporation. And he had some pool. Um, his dad did, however, want to get him out of the town because when your son is breaking into women's houses, it might be best to just get him somewhere else. Uh, so Issei decided to go to college to study literature and ended up getting a master's in Shakespearean writing from Waco University. And they say that my degree is useless. Well, I mean... Yeah, English doesn't have a lot to do, especially if you're getting an English, like a Shakespearean, a Shakespearean writing degree in Japan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, Waco University, a private university in Tokyo. Um, after the incident with the German woman, Issei did once again reach out to a psychiatrist to get professional help. Um, and this time even agreed to meet with the doctor in person. Um, the doctor told Issei that he was a danger to the public and that the, and that was the only time that Issei met with him though. He was basically like, this is also where he confessed about breaking in and he was like, you've committed a breach by telling me this, like, like, and you're a danger to society and I don't want to talk to you basically. The doctor said that? Th that's the gist. Yeah. But, but, okay. Oh God. So he never went back. Um, Great. In his life so far, uh, Sagawa was not around many temptations, though. As, believe it or not, there aren't many tall, blonde women in Japan. Still to this day, there are not. Yeah. Uh, but on his 28th birthday, he would make a decision that would change that. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. On his 28th birthday in 1977, Issei Sagawa left Tokyo to attempt to get his PhD in comparative literature at, this is French, so I don't know, Sorbonne? That's how I would say it. Sorbonne University in Paris, uh, which is where he would also meet his victim. Um, it's very interesting because Japanese people love Paris. Like, they love the idea of Paris. They're obsessed with Paris. Well, yeah, there's that specific kind of depression that, that like, people from, like, Japan get when they go to Paris and realize that it sucks. 
It has a name. Don't remember it. I but forget there, what it's called. But yeah. there literally is like a depressive condition that's named after it. So you can look that up. Um, so he moved there, and suddenly he's surrounded by tall white women in a less sexually repressed culture. And this sent Sagawa into a tailspin in his cravings. He described his cannibalistic thoughts as a part of his sexual desires, much like how if a normal man is interested in a partner, he wants to hold and kiss that partner. Issei thought the same way, but with wanting to eat them. That's how he describes it. This kind of sexual cannibalism has been seen in other well-known killers, such as Albert Fish or Peter Curtin, if you're familiar with them. I don't know them. Don't. Don't. They're both pretty gross. Um, Many times, Sagawa had brought prostitutes to his house in the hope of killing them to eat them, but never actually followed through. He was always adamant that he did not fantasize about violence, but only about eating the person. So this made it hard for him to do the murdering bit that was necessary before the eating bit. Glad that he, you know... Didn't want to be violent. It's just so interesting because he is kind of like a very like introverted and like small and like, you know, like not great presence at all. You know, like he's small both in physical meaning and in personality yeah, and in personality. So I kind of believe that he just doesn't have like violent tendencies. That He just, God, he just wanted to eat someone so bad. It's so weird. Um, and around this time, Sagawa met a Dutch student studying literature in one of his classes named Rene Hartfelt. And he immediately had a fascination with her. She was tall, German, and blonde. Uh, after class, one of the students decided to have dinner at a local Greek restaurant. And at the end of the evening, Issei invited everyone to his upscale apartment so he could cook them all a traditional Japanese meal later that week. There were not many people in the class that enjoyed Issei's company, however, uh, as he was noticeably weird. So when the evening of the dinner arrived, no guests from his class showed up. Mm. Well... Except for one. No! Sagawa was delighted when his doorbell rang and who else was there but Rene. They talked about literature and Sagawa made the meal. But since he was planning for more than just Rene to be there, he had not sufficiently prepared to kill her yet. So he tried to look for ways to get her back to his apartment at a later time when he was ready. Rene was a young college student and therefore felt many of the financial burdens that college students usually do. And Issei had more than enough money to hand out. Additionally, Rene spoke German, and this was a perfect opportunity for the comparative literature student to strike. He asked if Rene would tutor him in German so that he could read some romantic poetry he was fond of in the original language. Rene acquiesced for the money and came by later that week. For their first lesson. This time, Issei had prepared and he had hidden a 22 caliber rifle in his cupboard in his studio apartment. 
He had Renee read passages from a German poem while he recorded her on a tape recorder. But through the evening, he found that he could not bring himself to do the deed. After she left, he berated himself over missing his opportunity. But there were more tutoring sessions to come. And on June 11th, 1981, Renee came over and once again was reading passages from German poetry when Issei pulled the gun he had pulled the gun he had hidden from the cupboard and walked behind Renee. He pointed the gun at the back of her neck and pulled the trigger, sending her slumping over the desk she was sitting at and falling to the floor. Issei self-reports that he was so shocked at the amount of blood that he fainted. And he and also says that when he finally awoke, he was, and obviously take this with a large grain of salt, remorseful for the murder. But nevertheless, he seized his opportunity to live out his fantasies nonetheless. Sorry. <laughs> uh, felt really bad. They just shouldn't have done it. Damn. That's some Nelson Mandela level talk right there. He shouldn't have done the murder. I agree with you. but uh, Now, I, I want to spare both you, Nina, and you people at home from the worst details. Uh, but literally, the whole story is about him being a cannibal. And that was the driving purpose behind the murder. So if you were squeamish, how'd you get this far first off? And secondly, you might want to stop listening to this now. Uh, because Issei got right down to business as he attempted to bite directly into Renee's left butt cheek after undressing her body. He was adamant, by the way, that it had to be the left, uh, but he found that he could not just bite into a person like that and that it hurt his jaw. He instead went to the kitchen and grabbed a knife to cut strips of flesh from her buttocks and thighs to eat raw, which, this is gross, but if you cared to know, he describes the taste of raw flesh as a lot like raw tuna. So enjoy never eating sushi again. Tuna is delicious, though. God, see, what did I say? I'm not making a joke. I'm just saying. I, I still. It's, you still hungry? Just checking in. Just checking in. Yeah, a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Oh, okay. Just checking in. Um, while eating, he found himself. Do you think he, like, <laughs> made rice and stuff with it? We'll get to that. Oh, no. To begin with? No, he just cut it off and nommed. But, yeah. Wouldn't that make you sick? Like, wouldn't that physically make you ill? Like, even if you like you were into that? Um, like, can't you, like, not eat people? So, the meat? I mean, it's kind of just, like, as... as it's red meat. You as, should cook red meat. Okay, yeah, but this is, like, fresh, fresh. See, keep this going. is gross. Just keep going. This is just gross. I don't want to talk about I, it. I regret everything. Um, well, I, regret, I regret the whole question. Well, it's going to get better right now. While eating, he found himself aroused by the act as well because obviously we said those wires are firmly crossed for him uh which led him to sexually desecrate the corpse is probably the best way i can put it um he continued this for two days sleeping with the body in his bed and eating parts of it as he went cutting strips of flesh to save in his fridge and freezer for later consumption and like i said i'm cutting out a lot of the details for your benefit but if you really want to know there are many places online where you can find them, including uh, where you can find all the details, including a Vice interview with Sagawa himself, uh, which I watched for this 
episode and it is interspersed with multiple campsite ads, which was really jarring between all the talk about cannibalism and necrophilia. And then it cuts to try jerk mate. And I'm like, oh my, like the, the, I can't do this. I don't like that at all. Um, so I think I actually cut it out for people, you know, because I was going to spare you, but yes, he definitely made full meals out of it. Um, gross, including, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll give you this one, uh, since it was already been pretty gross. You had said earlier that you're the person had said either the, the butt or the boob, right? That's where they go to eat. Well, he tried the boob and he like baked it and he said it was really gross. It's a lot of fat. Yeah, it's just a big glob of fat, which is disgusting in multiple ways. Um, But yeah, so you can find more details than that if you want. There's a lot, and it's awful, but that's what we were giving you. And that's the the most about it. Um, And by the way, this was June in Paris, which is the hottest month of the year and they don't do air conditioning over there no they do not and after and especially well no it was the 80s so we had air conditioning in the united states by then I would uh, yes i do believe air conditioning was invented by the 80s uh and after 48 hours large flies started to surround the corpse and isay knew that his time with it was coming to an end so he went about the task of trying to dispose of the body Using an electric carving knife and a carved butcher blade that he bought, Sagawa dismembered the body in his bathtub and placed the pieces in two luggage bags that he bought for this specific purpose. Luggage? Luggage. Suitcases. Oh, I do. So I've heard this story before. Brain dumped almost all of it. I think I remember this part. Well, welcome back. Oh, Uh, man. Yeah. Oh, well, I won't spoil it. uh, He then hailed a cab. And while the cab driver put the bags into the trunk, he actually remarked, hey, these are pretty heavy. What do you have in here? A body? (laughs) Just trying to be funny, trying to enjoy his day. It was a body. Uh, The cab driver dropped Issei off at a park close to the apartment, the Bois de Boulogne. Sure, they cut out everything in French, a bunch of letters, that's probably it. Uh, that's the largest park in Paris, Paris's central park, if you will. Uh, Sagawa had wanted to dispose of the luggage bags in one of the lakes that were within the park and under the cover of night, but he failed to think of how bright it would still be at 8 p.m. in the summer. That was the cover of night that he planned on. Not he may, he may understand Shakespearean literature, but other than that, he yeah, sounds kind of stupid. Um, so there were, he says there were actually people still sunbathing in, at 8 p.m. Like that's how much sun was still up. And so he just looked like a weirdo lugging around two heavy bags in the park in plain view. And you know, it's daytime. not like they're not going to recognize you. You're four foot nine. Yeah, very recognizable. Um, And it also didn't help that he was obviously nervous and looking around constantly. Um, As he approached the lakeside, he noticed an elderly couple staring at him, uh, trying to figure out what the hell he could be doing. And he decided to to just throw the bags in the bushes and run from the park. So literally, as he was running away, they were already walking over to the bags. Uh, The elderly couple approached the bags and opened them, discovering the remains. And the police were called before Sagawa even got made it back to his apartment. Wow. And here's the thing. Paris, it's a big city. Mm-hmm. All right. 
Uh, but there are only, like we said, so many tiny Asian men that inhabit it, after all. Uh, and after the police contacted cab companies across the city, because someone had seen him show up in the cab too, asking if they remembered picking up Sagawa and taking him to the park, they found the cab driver in less than 48 hours, and he led them to Issei's apartment. Imagine getting the call and you remembering that joke you made. And you're like, what the fuck? You're like, oh, shit. It was a body. At least he helped him get him, so that's good. Um, when they knocked on the door, Issei was waiting. He knew after the botched body removal that the police would be there soon, and he let them in without protest. He hadn't even, like, cleaned up the blood or anything. Uh, after two days? He was too busy and lost in his... Mm, lost gross in the sauce. Fa- gross fantasy. I don't think you can... I don't think you can say that. I, I don't know. It's not ragu, dude. After finding the blood and pieces of Renee still in the fridge, they arrested Sagawa. And believe it or not, the worst part of the story might still be to come. Right. At least not, you know, details. But the worst part overall. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Issei's father flew out to Paris and got one of the best lawyers he could find to represent his son. But unfortunately for them, Issei was very open with what he had done, freely admitting to it, without remorse, and the question came down to if he was sane enough to stand trial for the murder. Because obviously, he basically said immediately, yes, I killed her. Yes, I cut parts of her off. Yes, I ate her. Yes, I." he just admitted to all of it. Um, so basically, they had to be like, okay, well, are you crazy? <laughs> Uh, the judge for the case, uh, Louis Bruguer, sure, boarded a plane to Japan to talk to Issei's family and spent hours interviewing his parents and actually did talk to the psychologist that Sagawa had visited after the attempted attack on the German woman in Tokyo. Afterwards, the judge decided that no sane person could have killed for the purpose of cannibalism. So therefore... I mean, I think I agree with that. If you hear the guy talk, though, oh, okay. so here's the thing. Like, yes, he has this really crazy fantasy. But he knew what he was doing. But, he knew, but, he, but he knew what he was doing, and he knew that it was wrong. Okay, that's different. Yeah, okay. So he's not crazy. Yeah. He's just so, deranged. He's so unbelievably deranged that it seems crazy. Okay. Um, so no trial was to happen. And Sagaba was sent to an institution for the criminally insane for an undetermined amount of time, or an unspecified amount of time. Uh, An interesting person against this placement, though, was Sagawa himself, who did not think himself crazy and was vocal about preferring prison rather than being surrounded by people who were so deranged. While there, he started writing an autobiography that included a detailed confession of the murder and subsequent events. He was later contacted by Japanese writer Inihiko Yamoda for an interview, which Issei gave and also shared the manuscript that he had been writing with the other author. Well, I guess at least he used his degree. Yamoda took the interview and manuscript and combined them into a book titled In the Fog, which would go on to be a bestseller in Japan and made Sagawa a macabre form of a celebrity, an infamous household name in Japan. 
in Paris, though, the media had got a hold of gruesome crime scene photos from the murder and the subsequent autopsy and actually printed them in the newspaper without scruple, an act which would get over 100,000 papers to be seized by the government and a journalist to be arrested over the publication. Good, because that is so disrespectful to the woman who was murdered. Absolutely. And the public reacted. Uh, They reacted by becoming enraged that this man was being kept on the taxpayer's dollar in France. Oh, so he was in the institution in France. He was in an institution in France, yeah. Which makes sense. And not in a prison. So instead of admitting their wrongdoing and putting Sagawa on trial, they decided to deport him back to Japan. Great. So... Upon Sagawa's arrival in Japan, they sent him to a mental hospital where he was evaluated by multiple psychiatrists, and he was deemed sane by multiple psychiatrists, but quote-unquote evil. And they found that he had premeditated his murder, like we said, knew wrong from right, as proved by his trepidation to murder Rene and the others leading up to it. He obviously knew that you're not supposed to kill people. Um... And that the killing was motivated solely by sexual desire. The only issue was that the French government had sealed away the paperwork from the original investigation and for some reason refused to hand it over to Japanese authorities. I don't know. I don't know if it's a law in France about their legal system or what. Maybe. But but they said they're locked and we're not giving them to you. They also might have just not wanted to bring it back up and get all the bad publicity. I don't know. But something happened and they did not hand over the documents to the Japanese authorities, uh, which means that after two weeks in this hospital, Issei checked himself out of it. A free man. And there was nothing that the Japanese government could do. Great. As infuriating as it is, Sagawa spent the rest of his life a free man. Not only openly talking about the crime that he committed, but going one step further and making a living off of it. After his parents died in 2005, he paid off their creditors, but didn't have a lot of money left. So he moved into subsidized housing and largely lived off the government. But he had a lot of revenue streams that came from his macabre celebrity status. He was paid to create a very graphic manga. What the hell? uh, Yep. Relaying the events of his life and the murder. And it is an awful thing to behold. By the way, it's just awful. Uh, But not the worst thing that he made. As people also paid him to write food reviews for restaurants. And all in all, he wrote four books drawing largely from his experience in literature. He published four books. Like, and he just kept making money off of it. Um, He also made his film debut as people reached out to him to film him just eating a meal while creepily looking into a camera. Um, What's that called? Mukbang, which is Korean, but yeah. Um, It's literally like him like eating a steak and like like Kubrick staring into a camera. It's very off-putting. And then showing him being... Really, this is actually kind of funny. I'm not going to lie. They showed him being really bad at physical challenges while mocking him for being so small. They had him, like, do a strength test, like a grip test and stuff, and, like, had him do, like, 
an NFL combine like like three cone sprint. He is really bad at them though. So it's kind of funny. Because they're basically saying, like, how did you ever do this? Like, you're, mm-hmm. you're fucking weak. You're not worth anything. And I was like, well, he kind of deserves that, I guess. Yeah. You want to pay him to mock him, I guess. Um, they also, in that same thing, they dressed him up as the wolf and reenacted little a scene from Little Red Riding Hood. It's fucking weird. So, yeah, that's what they did. Uh, I don't know if you can talk about the macabre in Japanese culture. Is this a thing? Did you know of? Um, a little bit, yeah. I don't know a whole lot about it. I'm not super into anime or manga or anything like that, so. Well, this isn't regular manga. No. Um, there are some things that happen within that culture that uh, really don't make sense. And this is one of, like, something like this is one of those things where, like, yeah, I I can't exactly speak to why because I don't know enough about it. Yeah. But. Um, to be honest with you, hearing all this doesn't shock me after living there. Because they also said, like, he wasn't, like, people often call him a celebrity, but, like, he wasn't a celebrity. Just people had this, like, macabre fascination with, with it. I mean. With, with his crime and with him. So, I guess, I mean, I would say that we actually, in our country, also have a lot of, um, a big obsession with serial killers. That's true. But, but we usually don't let we don't, them directly profit off of it. No, that we don't. That's the difference. Is like, we talk about them, we use their stories, we, I would say to a way, I don't want to use the word exploit because they, they deserve to be, but basically, we exploit their victims, but we, yes, we exploit yeah. the story yeah. and, um, they don't directly benefit from it. So we sort of do something similar. However, he's directly benefiting from it. And that's, what's really strange about this. Yeah, Like if someone killed an Ada person here and then openly talked about it in America, like that person would probably just be like, someone would like kill that person. <laughs> Well, they like Jeffrey Dahmer, like he so was someone killed. did kill that person. Yeah. Like, you know, these people usually do get murdered in prison. Yeah. Now, That's I don't know. I didn't even go to prison. And he didn't even go to prison. Yeah. I am a little shocked that like, well, I guess I don't know. And I, I don't want to. I lived there for a year, but I'm not an expert. Fair. Like. Fair. It does shock me that, or it does kind of surprise me. But this is just me because I grew up in America that like the Yakuza didn't get him. Or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but. Additionally, though, they had him star in four, count them, four pornographic films, um, including, and this is legit, I think, maybe the most fucked up part of this whole thing, uh, including uh, one where they had him, uh, they had the woman have sex with him multiple times, and then they, like, asked her beforehand, like, do you know who this is? Whatever. She didn't know who he was. And then they sat her she down. She didn't know? No. Because then the next part was they sat her down with him and had him go into detail about the crime in the in the video. That not, makes me sick to my stomach. Right? And not only that, but he, like, brought out the book, which had the pictures in it. That is so not cool. Yeah. It's probably one of the worst things I've ever heard of ever. Yeah. And I've heard of some bad shit, but this is pretty bad. Yeah. Like, cause I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. We don't know, but like, I highly doubt that they were like, this person is a criminal. You're going to have sex with a criminal. She probably had no idea. Yeah. No, they literally said, Hey, you know, what's good about that though. You know, what's good about him being in all those porns is that at least they blurt out his genitals. Yeah. The blur, the blur probably didn't have to be pretty big. I did not watch. This is the this is where I drew the line of the research. I was like, I'm not watching fuck anybody. 
Good. Drew the line. I, I don't, don't think know. he'd be very good at it. I don't it. even No, of course not. I don't even know if you'd be able to do it. Did what, he eat her pussy? The person, wait, which one? In the film? I don't know that. I unfortunately do know the answer I don't to the first know one. Him. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming, yeah. yeah. Ah. Um, That's so fucked up. But I will also say that, you know, all those people, you hear them be obsessed with those serial killers. Like Ted Bundy had all those women that like were obsessed yeah. with him. Like all these serial killers always do have some like have women or I, I don't know enough female serial killers off the top of my head. Nor do I know if like men write them letters the way that women write um, the male serial killers letters. But. If you put Ted Bundy in a porn, people would have watched it. Ted Bundy, another famous necrophiliac. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I'm just saying, like, that is really fucked up. But if we were to do it here, yeah, people would watch it. Yeah, they paid Octomom, right? Uh, <laughs> Does she have a porn? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they paid her to be in one. Post? Yeah. Octo? Yeah, of course post. They were like, you were the Octomom. We want to, you know. We want to do this. And they did. Now I kind of want to look it up. Well, and you will, I'm sure. Um, the one thing that we can take solace in all this, though, is that at least he did live his life. If he didn't live his life in prison, he lived it in a different kind of prison. Not a same one. You know, definitely leagues better. Um, but he, he was completely isolated. No one ever visited him. He had no friends. And he lived his life like he always had as a sad, pathetic loser. So at least there's that. I don't feel that bad. He made, like I said, he had revenue streams, but he really did not make a lot of money. In the interview with Vice, he was like, I haven't paid my rent in five months. I might get kicked out. And I was like, yeah, get kicked out. Go fuck yourself. I kind of don't want him to get kicked out because it's so much easier for you to kill a homeless person and them not know about it. Man, here's the thing. But I will say the homeless people in Japan really have each other's backs mm -hmm. more so than in the United States. So he probably wouldn't have gotten away with it. Because, mm. like, when I, where I lived, I, like, lived one train stop away from, like, where, like, the homeless people lived. And, like, you would see them. Like, they all had their cots lined up. Like, there's a lot of, like, sticking together. Like, I think there's some sort of camaraderie here in the States. Like that, but it's not the same level. Yeah, like sucking their like sucking each other's dicks in the tent. Well, that happens here. Camaraderie. That's what I'm saying here. Yeah. Not in Japan. I don't know how much. I don't know. I don't know how much homeless man dick sucking they're doing in tents there. I don't know. I didn't see a tent. I saw cots. Oh, well, yeah. You can't just do it out. People will be like, "Ew." Well, yeah. I don't know. Stop. Actually, they probably do it out in the open here. Let's be honest. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I saw this. Actually, I'm not going into it. Thank you. Uh, so, but he still got to live it freer than most. Um, all the way up to his death. Not that long ago, actually, in November of 2022. He just died? He lived until his late 70s, man. And That's it, pretty, he died pretty early, actually. And For it, Japanese men. I guess that's fair. And he's very small. Uh, and as far as we know, he never committed another murder. And would say that the one he did got it out of his system. That's what he said. Whatever. And that whenever he had thought of eating someone later on in life, he would simply get rid of the feeling by masturbating. Until he became impotent, that is. 
And then he was like, I worry about now that I can't masturbate, <laughs> that I that I might want to eat people again. And I was like, if it's so tied to your sexual desire, you're probably fine. Because even serial killers, they kill less as they get older. Yeah, they're not as spry. Yeah. They just, like, there's, there is probably something tied to, like, the hormones of it. And as you get less, you don't want to do it anymore. I don't know. I guess. Um, he even moved on from white women, saying okay. he primarily developed attractions to Japanese women. Although, even in the Vice interview, he still remarked that they probably tasted good. He would still say that. He was never apologetic. Gross. Yeah. So, so that is the extremely disgusting story of Issei Sagawa. The admitted murderer and cannibal that got to go free in part from the money and influence of his family. And the saddest part about this case is that so many people, including us on this podcast right now, have been forced to talk about him more than we are able to talk about his victim, Renee Hartfelt. Little is known about her and her family with almost nothing being available on the internet. So when this story is told, she becomes merely an object. But she was a person. A person who deserved so much better than what she got at the hands of Issei Sagawa. She was wonderfully intelligent. She must have been to be at that university. She must have enjoyed any number of pastimes from drinking an espresso at a Parisian cafe, reading literature, being with friends, all of which was taken from her in a moment because of the selfish desires of someone incredibly deranged. I say with conviction that Issei Sagawa is the evilest man I have ever had the displeasure of knowing this much about. I only wish he were still alive so he could be tormented more for what he had done. And that's it for today's episode and this entire season. All right. Feels good to be done. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I'm really not that hungry anymore. Oh, oh no? You yeah, got over I lost it? it? Okay. It was the masturbating part that really did me in. Oh, that's what that's. What I don't it know is. why that did me in so bad, but you're like I can't think about it. See, I'm hungrier now. Mm. I think I might get a. You want to get spicy tuna rolls? Yeah, actually. God damn it, Nina! Nothing will ever face you. <laughs> nothing become. Nothing comes between this woman and a spicy tuna roll. Not even the grossest story ever. Can I say I love to eat? It's fair. Uh, well. Thank Dude, spicy tuna rolls are good, though. They like, are. They are. And I like white tuna. Super white tuna. Huh? Have you had super white tuna? Yeah. Oh, fucking slaps. It's all good. I do like it raw, too. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I eat all... Like, yeah, the sushi. I do enjoy smoked salmon, though. All right. We can't actually do this. Uh, <laughs> everyone at home right now is fucking terrified. Uh, thank you, everyone, so much uh, for listening to this this finale episode, uh, I promise you, next finale will probably not be as bad as this. I don't think it could be. This one was pretty bad. Out of all 11, this one was pretty bad. This one didn't make me cry. That's, I mean, that's true. It's only children. Nine only gets choked up over children. I do. Not uh, choked up over grown adult women. It's fine. Uh, if you maybe didn't enjoy what you heard, <laughs> you know, but if you if you enjoy us... 
in the podcast we bring you. It just feels so bad having to chill all this right now. Whatever. This is just, this, just you this know, is show business. Write us a review. Yes. Leave us a rating. Uh, follow us on one of your services. Um, go to our socials. Talk with us that way. Facebook.com slash white collars red hands. Instagram at white collars pod. No, Twitter at white collars pod. <laughs> I did the same thing you did last week. Uh, Instagram at white collars underscore red hands. TikTok, white collars red hands, surprisingly. Email us uh, to get episodes in for next season. You can request yes. it. We want you to suggest episodes for next season that you can do that at whitecollarsredhands at gmail.com or DM us on any one of those socials I just mentioned. Uh, tell a friend. And that's where I'm going to leave it today. Yeah, that's good. So thank you guys so much. And we'll see you next time on another season of White Collars. Red, Red hands. hands. Yuck.